Well, if you got your Bibles tonight, we're going to have a Bible study. So let's turn to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, one of the most powerful, profound, practical books in the New Testament. Some have actually called the book of Ephesians the crown and climax of Pauline theology. And I believe that that's true. It's one of the greatest jewels that we have in the New Testament. You know, there was one time when I was in Austria and I wanted to just spend the day climbing up into the Alps by myself. So I grabbed a backpack, put my Bible in there, some water, some power bars, drove my car as far up as I could go, parked the car, and then just hiked for about two hours up, up this, this mountain. And I got to this peak, you know, there in the Alps, and, and the view from the Alps, it is breathtaking. And I'm standing on this cliff. There is no one around. I'm doing the Ricola thing, you know, and listening to my echo. And so as I'm standing there, in this, there's this natural spring of water coming out. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And I wanted to just stand there because no one was there and read my Bible out loud. So I turned to the book of Ephesians and I, I was just going to read the whole book of Ephesians out loud. And I started to do it and, and about around chapter 2, I just had this amazing moment where I, I looked out and, and I saw the grandeur of, of the view and, and the air was just crisp and it was just like you could hear the water coming out. And, and, and I thought to myself, you know, reading the book of Ephesians, I feel like I'm in the Alps in a spiritual sense. The view from the book of Ephesians is, is awe-inspiring, and that's because this is the inspired word of God. It is a wellspring of life and joy and strength and wisdom. And you know what a wellspring is? A wellspring is, is an abundant and continuous supply of, of water. I'm not talking about H2. I'm talking about the water of, of the Word. That's what this book is. And tonight, we get to just look at, at, at one peak in this mountain range of spiritual blessings in this book. And so I pray that the view for you would be glorious. I, I pray that you would have... Uh, uh, a mountaintop experience, even though you might be in, in a valley circumstantially tonight. And, and what we're going to look at tonight is so incredibly uh, practical for our lives. It is so practical. And so turn to chapter 5, verse 18. We're really going to only focus on one verse tonight. Where Paul the Apostle, in chapter 5, verse 18... He says, and do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we just sang, let us become more aware of your presence. That's our prayer, Lord. And I pray that tonight, Lord, that you would, you would help us to guard against kind of turning our thoughts away simply because we might know a certain passage so well. Or it might seem so elementary to us. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to glean all that we can tonight 
in order that we can take this, that we might just have a, a, a revelation, Lord, an unveiling of, of things in our heart by your Holy Spirit as you teach us so that we can go and we can, we can do these things, Lord, in, in all the nitty-gritty of our life, Lord, in, in the places where it really counts, Lord, with our kids, with our wives, with our employees, with our employers, with our friends, Lord, in our sphere of influence. So how desperately we need you, Lord. Just, just help us to stay focused tonight. And Lord, I thank you for that amazing spiritual transaction that takes place from the teaching of your word to our hearts as you teach us. And we thank you for the privilege of it. So just, just bless every single person listening. Bless these guys that have come out tonight. Lord, it's very easy to just sit home and rest. But Lord, thank you for the rest that you give us from your word. The peace and the strength, the vitality. Your word, Lord, it just cuts deep and it encourages greatly. So Lord, just do that work in us tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, as we come to chapter 5, you know, we're in that section of the book where Paul is uh, uh, really dealing with the walk of the believer. Paul the Apostle, he's already laid the doctrinal foundation for us in the first three chapters, um, telling us that we have been chosen by God, we've been adopted by God, we've been accepted by God, we've obtained an inheritance, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in, in heavenly places. And, and so after three amazing chapters of that, Paul then moves from, well, the principles to the practice, from the doctrine to the duty, as, as we see that, that switch in chapter 4, verse 1, when he says, I therefore, the prisoner of our Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And to walk a worthy walk... It doesn't mean that you're trying to prove yourself to God or get brownie points with God. To walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called is to simply honor the position and the standing that you already have with God as a child of God. You're not working for anything. You're working from it. You're not working for salvation. You're, working, you're, you're not working for it. You're working from salvation. So the first three chapters, who the Christian is. The last three chapters of of this book, how he lives, how he functions, how he acts, how he walks. And so Paul defines what that worthy walk is to look like in chapter 4 and 5. And it entails, you know, walking in harmony, walking in humility, walking differently than the way the world walks, walking in purity, uh, walking in love, walking in the light, uh, walking in wisdom, walking in harmony, and walking in the Spirit, as we're going to focus on. We could basically sum it all up in two amazing statements. The first is in chapter 4, verse 1, and the second is chapter 5, verse 1. We already saw verse, chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called, And then chapter 5 verse 1 is imitate God as dear children. So those are two 
key principles in, the, in Christian living. <clears throat> to walk worthy and to imitate God. But the question is, how in the heck am I going to do that every day? How in the world do we actually pull this off? To walk worthy of the calling and to imitate God. I am so thankful that whenever God commands us to do something as Christians, He always provides us with what we need to do it with. He always provides us with the strength. He doesn't call us to live a supernatural life with natural abilities. And the only way that we're going to do this Christian thing successfully on a regular basis is if we allow God to do the living through us. Let me say that again. The only way you're going to do this life like Jesus, because that's what we're supposed to do, we're Christians, we're Christ-like, the only way that we're going to be able to do that successfully and to bring glory to God and to bless others is to allow God to do the living through us. And I want to ask you, are you allowing God to do the living through you? Or have you slumped back into a place of just trying your guts out <laughs> in your own strength, in your own ability, and you're failing, and you're getting really, you know, just bitter at somebody? Let me read to you this amazing quote by Russell Colfer. He says this. It's, it's a little long, but, it, but it's so powerful. He says this. Not only has God come in the flesh, paid the price for man's salvation been caught up into heaven and, re, and returned to the Father, the final reality is this, <clears throat> that through His Spirit He lives even this moment in the life of every believer. The question to be answered is this, how would Christ reveal Himself in this church age? Would He teach men to teach other men what He was like so that they could, doing the best they knew how, imitate His righteousness by attempting to obey His laws? He says, no, no, no. The ultimate mystery has been solved. It is Christ living in you. That's your hope of bringing him glory, your only hope. And he says this, that means that it isn't up to us to live the Christian life. It's up to God. Let me say that again. He says, that means that it isn't up to us to live the Christian life. It's up to God. The choice, minute by minute, is ours. The task, minute by minute, is God's. He says, what a relief. What a load that takes off these tired minds and bodies. And then he says this, by watching Jesus, you see how God behaves when he is allowed to be himself in us. Let me say that again. By watching Jesus, you see how God behaves when he is allowed to be himself in us. He says, there's the crux of it all. The fruit of the Spirit is nothing more than lordship released. It is how God looks when he is Lord of our life. It is the mystery of the ages, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, you do the living. I can't tell you how those, those words... Lordship released have just been so practical for me as it connects with the verse that we're looking at 
tonight. But the only way that we're going to allow his lordship to be released is first and foremost to die, to get out of the way, to, like Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have to get out of the way. I have to deny myself, take up my cross daily, follow him. I have to do all those things. I have to uh, allow the Lord to be on the throne of my life and me at his feet. And that all comes down to obedience. You know, one of the guitar players tonight, right when he was coming out, he said, you know, that's the second time I've heard this word obedience. And I started giggling because I'm like, just wait for this study, buddy. It's all about obedience. Because what keeps his lordship being released from my life? Me. My selfishness, my pride, my ego, my lust, my, my just humanity. It's me. So, so what comes out? Me. And that's not good. <laughs> We're to be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. I stink. But, but He is that incense. He is that sweet-smelling aroma. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can what? You can do nothing. So if you've been in a season of trying to do things on your own, and this Christian life is a real grind, I don't care what the circumstances are necessarily. Those play a big part, yes. But if we're trying to... If we're trying to do this thing in our own strength, we're going to fail miserably and we're going to be so discouraged. But do you remember what Christianity is? It's just one big response to a very big God who loves us bigly. <laughs> he loves us in His mercy and His grace. That's what Paul says in Romans 12. After 11 chapters of giving us amazing doctrine in chapter 12 of Romans, he says, Therefore, I, I beg you, by the mercies of God, because of His great mercy, that you present your lives a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable God. It's your reasonable service after everything that God has done. It's your logical service after everything that God has done for us. So you're just responding. I'm just responding to what God has, has done. And, and so God desires this for us. It's actually his will. Look at chapter 5 of Ephesians verse 17. Just the verse before. This is God's will. He says, therefore, do not be unwise or foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then on into verse 18. So this is the will of the Lord that we're, that we're filled with the Spirit. We were designed as new creations in Christ to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, tonight, the traffic was crazy coming from Huntington Beach. And, and uh, I was, a, a nice blue Ferrari was right next to me. And uh, I'm just staring at this car because we were going 10 miles an hour. And um, I'm like, I'm just looking at that car and, you know, we're, we're going the same speed, 10 miles an hour. I'm like, man, that guy probably paid 300000 for that car. 
I paid fifteen hundred for mine. I'm going just as fast. <laughs> oh, I'm beating you. I'm beating you, dude. I'm beating you. But imagine if that Ferrari ran out of gas, and uh, you, you know you you're, you you hook up that Ferrari. And, and instead of putting gas in it, you, you hook it up to, to two horses and you start towing that Ferrari around. I don't know why I just used that an analogy. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm going back to Yugoslavia. I lived in Yugoslavia for a while and they would actually do that if they ran out of gas. But how ridiculous would that be? You've just gone from 600 horsepower to two horsepower. <laughs> and how ridiculous it is that, that we would tow around this new creation in Christ by the horse of the flesh. <laughs> you know, we, we, we look at this and, and we, we realize, well, I have a tremendous resource in the Holy Spirit. I want to be empowered by Him. He's, he's the fuel for the Ferrari, if you will. You know, He's, he's the source. And we've been given the resource of God's resurrection power. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 17 really quickly. I want to remind you of the power that you possess right now. And it's not your power, it's His power. Paul is praying a lot for power in this book. In chapter 1, verse 17, he's praying that they would understand this power. In chapter 3, he's praying that they would walk in the power. And then in chapter 6, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the, what? Power of the Lord Jesus. But here, Paul, he's praying. I want you to notice, uh, let's... let's uh, uh, well, verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. It's great when people say I'm praying for you, but it's, it's really great when they tell you what they've been praying. So he does that and he says that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So I'm praying that God would give you a disposition of thinking and an unveiling of of the knowledge of Jesus. That's, that's it. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That, that God would just energize this information. Verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Here it is. That you might know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And here it is. This is what I want you to focus on. This power. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? There are four Greek words for power in that one verse. We just see them as synonyms. In English, we have power, uh, working, mighty, and strength. The word power is deutimus, where we get the word dynamite. The word working is is energeia, where we get the, our word energy. The, the word mighty is iskus, which means endowed power. And, and the, the last word strength is, is the Greek word kratos, which means ultimate might, ultimate power. So let me read it like that. He's saying, 
that I, I'm praying that you would know the exceeding greatness of his dudamous dynamite power toward us who believe according to the energy of his endowed power and ultimate might. <laughs> and, and then to go, he just, to illustrate that in verse 20 of the next verse, he says, it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's the power that we possess in Christ by his spirit that dwells in us. I'm reminding you, I'm reminding you because we have a tendency to forget and we're defeated. We are defeated. And where's the battle? The battle's in our mind, right? And so I got to take every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ and replace the doubt and the fear and the anxiety and the pain and the loss and, and just the gut-wrenching depression. And how do I, what do I, what, where does my mind go? I got to go back to the spiritual realities. And they're tools for us to, to walk in the victory when we're just so down. So before we look at the phrase, be filled with the Spirit, we got to deal with that first phrase, don't be drunk with wine. So if you're taking notes, there's just three things that I want us to um, look at in this verse. The contrast, number one. The command, number two. And the consequences, number three. The contrast, the command, consequences. So first of all, the contrast. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, some some believe that Paul is just making some general statement to Christians saying we shouldn't get drunk. And, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't get drunk. But I believe that there's much more going on here than just a general statement. I believe that there's a, a, a religious uh, uh, you know, uh, idea here. Because in Ephesus and in this time period... You know, um, they had the temple of Diana and Diostenes. The Roman god Bacchus was the god of wine. And they believed in these different, uh, you know, uh, worship centers of these different deities. They believed, many of them, that when you got drunk, that's when you could commune with the gods. So they would drink and they'd actually have barfing troughs where you'd barf it out and then you'd drink some more and then you'd barf it out and drink some more and you would get just plastered and then you would be able to commune with the gods. And then, then you'd start your liturgy. You would start singing and dancing and sexual things. And, and what Paul is contrasting, I believe, is... Do not be controlled by the drink. Be controlled by the Spirit. Don't be drunk in, a, in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, well, here's the liturgy that you go into in the next verse. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord in all things, submitting to one another... That's what's going to be flowing out of your life when you're filled with the Spirit. Not all this pagan stuff. And so I believe that that's, there's a religious thrust to this. 
And, and just, you know, by the way, intoxication, guys, is, is no remedy for life. Intoxication is no remedy for worry or pain or fear or stress. All it's going to do is add more worry and pain and problems and stress. You don't have to turn to substance abuse. You, you just, you need, you need the substance, the substance, the glory, the kabod, the weightiness, the substance. That's what the word means. Jesus is that. You just, you need him. If you want joy unspeakable and you want to be full of glory, kabod, if, if you want comfort beyond the comfort that this world can give, then Paul is giving us the remedy here. Be filled with the Spirit. So that's the contrast. But now secondly, what about the command? The the command. Now, just so that we're all understanding this, every single Christian that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ possesses the Holy Spirit in his fullness. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. When you get saved... God does take up residency in you. You are the temple of the living God. It's a mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. In some marvelous, incomprehensible way, the very Spirit of God uh, makes His home in the life of every believer when we trust in the Lord. Um, we're, we're new creations in Christ. Our spirit has been made alive. We were dead in trespasses, but now we've been made alive spiritually. And, and in that part of us, the blood of Jesus covers. And I believe that that's wherever that is, where God resides in us. It's in that uh, place, if you will, in the place where we are spotless where we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and that was spoken of by Jesus, as you know. In, in John fourteen seventeen, Jesus said, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And so as a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And he's there in his fullness. He's there in his totality. You don't get bits and pieces of the Holy Spirit. He's all there indwelling the believer. Now let me say this. That out of all the commandments in the New Testament, and and there's quite a few of them, do you know that we are never commanded as Christians to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? There's seven different commandments Uh, places where it speaks of being baptized by the Holy Spirit. But none of them are commandments. They're not in the imperative mode. Nor is being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the New Testament does it tell us that we are commanded to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's just something happens when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the New Testament does it command us to be indwelt by the Spirit. That's just a byproduct of what happens when he, he, he makes us a new creation in Christ. Nowhere in the New Testament does it command us to be anointed by the Spirit of God. All of these things, 
just come with the the beautiful salvation package that you get. But wait, there's more. No, it's it's like it just comes to you as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So you're not commanded to be baptized or sealed or indwelt or even anointed by the Holy Spirit. It just comes and and the Holy Spirit comes upon us as well. But there is a commandment and it's right here in Ephesians 5 verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. So if this is a commandment, then when Paul says it, he's not suggesting something. This is, this is actually a, a command. It's not an option. It's, it's a mandate. Because Paul knows you're not going to be able to walk worthy of the calling and imitate God and walk in love and walk in wisdom and walk in purity and walk and walk and walk and walk or stand, you're not going to be able to do it unless you're filled with the Spirit. And like any other commandment, this is a commandment that we need to obey. Now when Paul says be filled with the Spirit, it's in the present tense and it's in the continuous tense. Which means it's, it's to be happening right this moment and then it's to happen in five minutes, in five hours, in five days, in five years, and the rest of your life. That's what it means. So literally, what this verse is saying is, be being continually kept filled by the Spirit. Are you starting to see how this is a commandment? It's something that you and I do. Be being filled be being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is very important because this isn't some monumentous occasion when I was, whoo, I was filled with the Spirit. Ha ha. It, it, it's not that. It's a way of living. It's, it's a way of life, of, of being kept filled with the Holy Spirit. Because being filled with the Holy Spirit yesterday does nothing for me today. Nothing. So it, it's a moment to moment thing. The choice, moment by moment, is mine. The task, moment by moment, is God's. Now, the, the, the thing that we get uh, confused with, I think, is this word filled. Because when I think of the word filled, I, I automatically think of things that get empty. I think of a, 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 a glass. It is be, it's to be filled with water or it's empty. And let's face it, that's how we feel, don't we? Don't you wake up sometimes and you do not feel like a Christian? <laughs> you, you just, you don't, you get in the car and you don't feel like turning on K-Wave? You feel like KLOS or something. I'm going to get the lead out here. I'm going to, you know, turn on some, you know, like cranking music. And, and you just, you know, you, and then there comes a point where you're like, oh God, just baptize me, seal me, indwell me, fill me. I'm leaky. I've leaked. You've leaked out. And now I'm empty and I need you to just fill me again. That's what we think. And maybe, maybe that's 
your idea and you got to come to church to get filled up with the Holy Spirit again. Maybe that's your thinking. But this Greek word pleureo, it's used in a few different ways. First of all, it gives the imagery of, of sails, like on a sailboat, and the wind is filling the sails. And I like that imagery, that I just have to open up my sails, and the Holy Spirit fills my sails, and my compass is the Word of God as I'm on the sea of life, and I'm steering the vessel, that, that He's moving me, and the compass is the Word of God. I like that. That's cool. Another usage of the word pleureo, or filled, is to permeate. Like you would put salt in meat. That the salt permeates the meat and it, and it, uh, you know, it has a preserving influence and it also just you know, adds some flavor to it. We need to be permeated with the Holy Spirit in order that He, he you know, just adds some spice to our life. Really, the abundant life as he preserves. So there's that picture. But then there's, there's a, a more prominent use of this word. And it's, it, it speaks of being controlled. To, to, to control. Let me, let me read a few verses with, with that idea. Uh, you don't have to turn there. John 16.6. It says they were filled with sorrow or they were controlled with sorrow. Uh, Luke 5, 26, they were filled with fear or controlled with fear. Luke 6, 11, they were filled with, this guy was filled with madness. He was controlled by madness. I like this one, Acts 6, 5, they were filled with faith. They were controlled by, by faith. Now, what we're talking about is is just simply a dominating influence. Okay? And most of those are, are in the negative. But, you know, when you're filled with, with fear, you can't mitigate that fear. You know, you're, you, 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 you just, you know, you, you walk into the house and you think somebody's there, or, and you, what do you do? You, you freeze. And what happens? Your whole body relaxes. Your, your heart's beating. You're sweating. Your hair's standing up. You know, all those things. Or in a movie, you know, just turn the sound off, honey. It won't be as scary. Um, you, you, you're, you're stuck. You're controlled. Or sorrow. Somebody dies. And you, you can't mitigate that sorrow. You are controlled by sorrow. You're just, you're, you're losing it. So... With that said, what Paul is saying here is be being continually kept under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now you see that it's, it's a commandment and it's all up to us. It's not about, you know, just Lord, fill me. No, it's Lord, you take the wheel. You you take control. Lord, you take control of this situation. Lord, you take the helm. Lord, you're in control. I submit to you. I submit to the voice of your Holy Spirit. I submit to your word. 
I'm going to submit and obey you in this situation. I don't want to, but I'm going to get out of the way. And once I get out of the way, once I want to just kill this person, and I I want to, you know, give them back what they gave me, I want to give them hurt, I want to lash out, it's in that moment that you are going to follow the command and say, I will not react in the flesh. I'm going to step out of the way and let his lordship be released and watch his Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom that comes from above, which is first pure and peaceable and gentle and full of mercy, willing to yield. Look what's happening. His lordship, his lordship is now being released. You are coming under the lordship. You're coming under control, under his control, the control of his word, the control of his Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, your wife is like, whoa, what happened to you? You always respond with yelling. What happened to you? And guess what's going to happen? She's going to say, God's working in my husband. Or wives, same way. Instead of lashing out, you're just going to be like, I need to surrender, and I'm going to continually be being kept under the control when my husband gets home. (laughs) You know, it's, it's like, and it's just the stupidest things. You know, just the, the mundane things. You know, uh, it's like, you, you know, you, I, I drop my pants, you know, in the house and, and I leave them there. And it's just funny because my wife will look at me and she goes, are, are these your pants? I'm like, yeah, who, whose else would they be? I mean, if they're not mine, then we got to ask you some questions. But it's like. Uh, yeah, they're my pants. And she, she's, she's going about it in a nice way. That's her way of actually being nice. Are these yours? <laughs> Instead of, uh, he's driving me nuts. I told you to put these away. How many times do I have to put them away? So, so guys, we need, we need to come under the control of the Holy Spirit in kitchen situations, in the garage situations, in the morning when the kids are just being just, mm, and, and you're late. And it's all those things every day where I truly believe that we need the empowering and, and the Holy Spirit in our life. And for people that bother us or have hurt us, it's all of those things. And yes, we need the Holy Spirit to come upon us when we go evangelize. But this is so, so incredibly practical. And you know what? We see the, the, the sail, the wind in the sail, and, and just being permeated and the control. We see that in Jesus' ministry. Really quickly, turn to Luke, or excuse me, Matthew 4.1, and then we'll go to Luke 4.1, and then we'll go to Mark 1.12. Matthew 4.1. They're all the same account. 
after Jesus, or well, when Jesus is, you know, around that time when he's in the wilderness and the, the devil's going to tempt him. But notice this, Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led up, notice, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And it says that, that the Spirit was leading him like wind in a sail. Okay? Turn to Luke chapter 4. Here Luke describes the same account. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So here we see that Jesus is filled with the Spirit, which means that he was not only led, but under the control of, of the Spirit of God. Now Mark chapter 1. Here Mark describes the same account. Mark 1, 12. And immediately the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Wasn't that nice? He, he drove him in a jeep to the... No. He, he drove Jesus... He was under the Spirit's control. He was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was under the control of the Holy Spirit. We're to be the same. We're to be driven by the Spirit like, like a wind in the sails. We're to allow the Spirit to just permeate our life and, and to control our life. Let me read a quote that just pretty much sums it all up. Here the writer says this, The commandment, be filled. It is in the present continuous tense. It is not a one-time occurrence that lifts us into a more spiritual level of faith or holiness. It is a command that calls us to ongoing repentance, ongoing faith, ongoing obedience, every present moment of our lives. It requires us to keep on deciding at each moment did you guys hear that? It requires us to keep on deciding at each moment whether or not we are going to honor God moment by moment, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. This is what God requires of us, that we keep on being fully controlled and motivated by Him, that we keep on acknowledging Him as God in every aspect of our life. I think that that's the simplest explanation of of this commandment being filled with the spirit just simply means living one moment at a time being controlled by the spirit but how be permeated with him that's how be controlled by his power yield to his presence and that means that i again i have to get out of the way we have to be emptied of ourself. I have to nail the flesh. I have to deny my flesh. So, in closing, we looked at the contrast. Don't be controlled by the drink. Be controlled by the Spirit. We looked at the command. Be being continually kept under control. But what are the consequences of that? We usually think negatively when we hear the word consequence, but these are good consequences. And what are the consequences? Well, we already read them. Verse 19, 20, and 21. 
speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks unto God for all things, and submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And then what's, what's verse 22, guys? Some of your favorite verses right there. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. How many of you are married in here? Raise your hand. Come on, admit it. Raise your hand. All right. For you married couples. You don't concentrate on the wives submitting and husbands loving before you concentrate on the, on the source of that love. And it's the Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then... When you're, when you're controlled by the Spirit, guys, then what's the consequence of that? Well, you're going you're gonna to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. Guys, you've got to sing to your wife every morning. No. That just, somebody just said it. it that just speaks of Jesus is my joy. And then I'm going to be thankful for, for even the things that my spouse is doing that has bothered me for years. Why? I can even be thankful for what God has taught me to do with her and vice versa. And then we're going to be humble and submissive to one another. And if we're doing those things, then she will submit and you will love. But if you're not doing those things, she ain't going to submit and you ain't going to love. And there's not going to be any respect, and there's not going to be any love. And it's just going to be an everyday grind. Because at 12 o'clock, there's no love. And at 3 o'clock, she tells him there's no love. But at 6 o'clock, there's no respect. And at 9 o'clock, he tells her there's no respect. But at 12 o'clock, there's no love. And at 3 o'clock, she tells him there's no love. But at 6 o'clock, there's no respect. And at 9 o'clock, he tells her there's no respect. And that's every day for years and years and years. I've been married 26 years. We've had those cycles. But, but it's the Spirit of God that breaks those things. It's the Spirit of God that will break it all. One last verse and we'll close. I want to I look at a parallel passage to this. Turn to Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16, and then we'll be done. Notice this. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Settle down, be at home. That's what it means. Let it settle down and, 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 and dwell in you richly or abundantly in wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And notice this. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. We see the same thing in Ephesians 5 that we just looked at. <clears throat> so it, it's the same sequence as, as Ephesians 5. What produces these things in Ephesians 5? Being filled with the Spirit. What produces these things here in Colossians 3.16? It's the Word of God. 
the Word of God coupled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God teaching us, leading us into all truth, the truth of God's Word, you're coming under the authority of the Word of God as the Holy Spirit reminds you of the truth of the Word of God. And that comes obedience. And through that obedience, you are now letting His Lordship be released as God, through His Holy Spirit, lives this Christ-like life through you. It's all Him. I just have to be the conduit. And what stops all of that is my sin and my pride and all of those things. I hope that that makes sense. And I hope that that is something that you can walk away with tonight and really begin to apply. And just every hard situation that you're going to face, even getting out of the parking lot tonight, <laughs> and it all is going to come right back in. You know, it, it, and you lay your head on the, on the bed tonight and, and, you know, take those thoughts into the captivity of obedience to Christ and, and, and study these things and, and watch God, just watch God do something amazing in those, those relationships. And don't forget, don't forget the power, the deutimous, dynamite energy of His endowed power and ultimate might that is yours as we just step out in it in faith. And it is so easy to teach this tonight. And I'm going to have to get in my car and do the same exact thing as you. And I have to drive home, and my kid's sick, and um, my wife's tired, and tomorrow starts again. So, Lord, we just, we just thank you for how real and how beautiful and how, how great, Lord, the wisdom from your word is. And and the power that comes through the knowledge of you and your spirit in us. So just just bless everyone tonight, Lord, in a special way as we desire to be obedient to this great commandment to be choosing every moment to allow you to be under control. Forgive us for spending so much time not doing that. And Lord, help us to remember these things and to watch a, a sweetness come, Lord, in hard situations.